0: We think of monsters as hairy, ghoulish figures with long fingernails and sharp teeth lurking in the darkness. However, the most dangerous monsters of all walk among us in the daylight. This is Mike Bouchard, host of the Night Stalker podcast. This is episode 12, Cop Stories. Cop Stories is a book I wrote back in 2019. It deals with over a hundred strange stories, and the full title of it is Cop Stories, Unconscious Decisions. The cases in this book are real stories based on actual events as they occur. The events in the book were all cases handled by the author during his career in law enforcement. The stories have been reduced to a shorter version and personal information has been omitted. Um, so what type of stories do we have in this book? Well, we have a lot. And I'll go over a couple, excuse a couple of them, just to, here's one, one of my favorite, Shot in the Ass. When I was working over at the airport district, There had been a bar out there that was frequented, usually on Friday and Saturday night, large inner-city crew, always fighting, never had enough time to get coffee because they were always rolling around in the, the parking lot. I had passed by the bar, and I had noticed another police officer standing in the doorway in a uniform, so I figured he had been hired as a security detail. As I proceeded to go to Dunkin Donuts and get my coffee, <clears throat> I got back into the car, took a few sips, and was taking the long road back to the airport when a report of a disturbance, shots fired. Uh, I hurried up as fast as I could, got onto the scene, a rather large woman was had been shot, She'd been shot in the ass. Uh, Didn't want to cooperate with me, didn't want to tell me who shot her, didn't want to tell me much of anything. Her friends didn't want to tell me much of anything either. And all I could think of that bullet hitting her in the ass was like hitting a refrigerator-sized block of ballistical gel. So, sent it to the hospital took some information from people that wanted to give it, collected the evidence, the empty shells, whatever else was laying around, proceeded to, at that time we used to handwrite our reports, and as I looked around, I was wondering where the officer that they had hired for the security detail was. So, I walked inside the building, I said to the guy that was I believe was supervising the bar or supervising the staff, whatever he was supervising. I said, hey, where's the guy you hired for the overtime detail? He says, well, what guy? I said, the cop that I saw standing here in the uniform. He says, we didn't hire anybody for an overtime detail. I said, oh. So, as I walked out, I asked the bartender, I said, hey, did you see the other cop that was here? The bartender looked at me kind of stupid. He goes, uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I thought the I thought the manager had hired him for a security detail, but here's the problem. I said, what was that? He says, well, every once in a while he'd take a free drink, and he'd spend all night handing his phone number out to women. Well, come to find out, I did some nosing around it and open my mouth. You know, that's how we were back then. We never said shit about shit. Come to find out he had been going there in his uniform to get free drinks after his shift and picking up the women. Well, needless to say, a month later, uh, he was terminated for shaking down uh, some of the local uh, vending stands on uh, on Main Street. So, uh, that's one of them for you. Let's see what else we got. Funeral gro- gloves. Funeral gloves are one of my, is one of my favorite stories because it just tells you what happens when two cops from an inner city are stuck out out of their element in a rural or suburban neighborhood. A friend of ours who was a uh, a police officer had gone into an operation. And unfortunately, during that operation, um, he never made it through. So, with that being said, his funeral, we had, we had gone to his funeral, and when we realized we got there, <clears throat> that none of the other guys, 25 of us, had funeral gloves, the white funeral gloves. So one of our younger guys says to us, hey, he says, we're not totally out of luck yet. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, he says, there's a patrol car over there with its trunk open, and there's three boxes of gloves. So, knowing that we were not going to be the only 25 idiots there without funeral gloves... One of our guys staged himself as a lookout, looked around, didn't see anybody, took a couple of pair of gloves. Now, I had thought he had met the cop that was driving the car. Well, apparently he hadn't. And he says to me, well, we got two pairs of gloves. I said, well, what did the guy say? He said, oh, I didn't see anybody. I just took the gloves. But he said, yeah, think about this way. I locked the door so that the, the trunks so nobody else will steal them. Any more of them? <laughs> uh, you got you gotta love it, you know. This, this is how it is. Um, here's another one for, for for some of you that are older. The story is Ethel don't look back. Now, for some of you that have grown grown up in the '60s and '70s, in the 1970s it was quite common for people to take off their clothes, put on a set of sneakers and go streaking around wherever they would stay, you know, the road, school, wherever they would run around with no clothes on. Well, when I had worked for the uh, State Fish and Game Service, um, for years we had this one, one man, we never caught him, it had to be for five years, um, would take off his clothes and one, run through the woods and, uh, it was, it was by a local college, so, um, you know, a lot of the females there would freak out. I mean, he never made any contact with them, made, never made any gestures, but he just felt like he needed to run around with them with no clothes on. And yeah, maybe I get it, I don't know. But <clears throat> I hadn't thought of it, that case for probably 20 years, maybe, maybe even longer than that. I was sitting down one day, and I opened up this newspaper, and it says... Naked man runs through Hamden College ball field. I said to myself, I thought about it, I go, holy crap, they haven't caught him yet. Because that's exactly where he always ran. I'm sure he's a lot slower now. Put on 20 years. Probably doesn't run as fast. But... Hey, the dude, still likes to get undressed and run around. What are you gonna do? Shit happens. Let me see. I got some better ones here. I'm just trying to, just trying to find a couple that are a little more interesting. Frozen bullets. Frozen bullets is really a freaky one. It freaked me the fuck out, but you know, shit happens. I had been. <clears throat> put in charge of hiring uh, reserve police officers in a small town. And the process, you know, was pretty unique. We used, at that time, you know, in the 80s, early 80s, we used to have a lot of people that were had good jobs, but they were interested in doing some type of law enforcement. So they would come in and, um, you know, apply for the position. Now, our town was a lot different than other ones because we actually sent our recruits, Reserve officers, supernumeraries, full time to the academy. Uh, most towns, unless you're a full time, they didn't send. You. So we had an interview with several people. Uh, one of them, we actually had a, a arrest for stealing a badge out of the locker room. And you know, the funny thing is, I I've arrest, I arrested on twice more during my career, and then come to find out yesterday, we was sitting down, reading the newspaper, and 30 years later, there he is again, getting arrested for some other kind of really weird shit. But suffice it to say, we hired the people. We, we They were halfway through training. Fire Firearms training came up. We take them to the range. Now, it was interesting because we had one guy... Go up to the range, walk up to the line, looked around, walked back off the range, took his duty belt off, and walked away and simply said, um, I looked at the body target, I can't shoot anybody. And that was it. Never saw him again. And then I noticed one one guy. Now, this guy was a very well-educated guy. He had worked for a smaller police department, this and that. And now that we're talking July, it was hot. I mean, it was hot as hell as I I can remember. And this kid's hands are shaking, so I figured, uh, what the hell's wrong with this one? I said, why are your hands shaking? He says, um, because my hands are cold. I said, your hands are cold? It's almost 90 degrees out here. How the hell are your hands cold? He says, well, because of the bullets. I said, what do you mean because of the bullets? He goes, well, I have to keep them in the freezer. I said, what? He says, I live with my mother, and she, she's afraid they'll explode, so I have to keep them in the freezer. Well, they ended up qualifying. I'm surprised the the, uh, the rounds actually went off, because I, I, I pretty much figured they were uh, some type of saturation would have soaked in, but I guess it didn't. So, um, we have a lot of interesting people come in, the next one is the chip in my head. The chip in my head was, was kind of an interesting one. Um, you know, I'm kind of a rogue guy. I tell people like it is. You know, I, I feel free to chew out my own kind when they do stupid shit. So, every once in a while I spend a couple months somewhere in the penalty box, like front desk front desk of City Hall, depends on what level of person you happen to piss off that day. Well, I got stuck at the penalty post at the front uh, desk of the City Hall, which I remind you in this particular inner inner city City Hall, you could probably film an episode of either Oz or uh, The Sopranos. Um, And it's not uncommon Watch uh, men in business suits with guns and behind just come in and drive people out of there either. So, but anyway, so I'm I, my, my cell phone said I wasn't even getting a good, good uh, cell phone signal. So I walk out to the front foyer and I'm making this phone call. And I see this guy running full speed towards the front di- door, and both of his hands are clenched like he's holding something. So he opens the door, and I, and I grab him before he even gets into the building. I go, open your hands. And he opens his hands, and I look, and there's two pieces of asphalt from the road. You know, Connecticut's like that. The, the roads suck, and every time a plow hits something, you know, it leaves, a, it leaves a, 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 a meteor hole in the ground. And I said, what the hell are you doing? He goes, I contacted the DEP, or the Department of Environmental Protection, and they said, these are asteroids. I said, asteroids, I said, are those aren't asteroids, that's that's, that's that's the asphalt from the road. So he insisted, give me a, an hour's explanation of why they were asteroids. I was like, shit. So I went behind the desk and I'm sitting there, I said, man, this guy is, this guy is, you know. So I did what I was supposed to, the law required me to do, or the department policy, sir, do you need an ambulance? Well, no. Sir, did you take your medicine? No. Sir, are you feeling ill? No. Okay, I asked my three questions to get me off the liability hook. So I figured to myself, how the hell am I going to get rid of this crazy bastard? I'm looking at the, uh, some of the CC monitors that were there, and I said, holy shit. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, you know, I'm part of the FBI. Well, the well, last time I saw FBI agents, they were in clothes that didn't look like they got hit with buckshot. And they had front teeth. And once in a while, they would shave and comb their hair. But, you know, that maybe this is the new generation. I don't know. Um, I said, holy shit, you didn't see what just happened? He goes, no, what? I'm looking at this blank screen. I said, holy crap, the, the uh, federal court on the other side of the road over there, there must be a riot out there. He was no shit. I said, no, no shit. So he grabs his hat and he proceeds to run out of the, run out of the building as fast as he can. He forgot his two freaking meteors. I throw those out in the, out in the road. And on the way out, I I slammed into this damn pothole. I said, son of a bitch, another meteor strike. And that's what happens when you sit in a desk when public. You know, for some reason, I don't know what it is. It's just. The uniform draw, draws interesting people. Like, I'm not sure which one that was. That was probably, oh, I'm the CIA. He told me he was a CIA. I, can, I got the, the stories a little mixed up. The chip in my head. Here, here's the chip in my head. This was even better. So I'm sitting at my penalty post desk, twiddling my thumbs, and this... Man in his forties, exceptionally heavy set, um, walks in and he's looking around. I mean, he's nervously looking around and saying, "Oh shit, what, what the hell am I missing now?" So the dude turns around and says to me, he "Goes, um, I just escaped." So I figured to myself, "Oh fuck, North Avenue Prison's right up the road." I said, son of a bitch, I said, "Well, how'd you escape?" I mean, there's no way this guy would have scaled anything. Um, he said, I jumped out of the military van. I said, what? He said, I jumped out of the military van. I said, the military van. I said, what the hell do you mean by that? He goes, oh, yeah. He says, uh, he said, he said, they captured me. And I'm thinking, shit, captured you. should have released you at the same time. But okay. So once again, I, ha- I ask my three questions. Sir, do you need an ambulance? Sir, are you taking your medication? Sir, are you under medical distress? No, okay, I did my shit. I'm good. Whichever way this goes, I'm good. So, he proceeds to tell me he has a, ch- the military put a chip in his head. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. A chip in your head? He goes, yeah, somebody put a chip in my freaking head. All right. He said, the aliens did it. So, I asked him for a more definitive answer. So, I said, Which aliens are you talking to about? The ones down there or the ones up there? So, he points upwards. I said, Ah, shit, right? I said, This is the day I should have put aluminum foil on my head. You know, it stops things like that, believe it or not. Either that or scares the shit out of people that want to come near you. So, he reaches, he pulls out this wallet, and I, I and, the wallet. I mean, if there was money in it, it could it could have choked the horse. He pulls out this big, huge stack of paper. So I look at the paper. at The top of it: Department of Corrections, psychological evaluation. Now you know when somebody hands you that, you know something's coming down the pike, and usually it ain't fucking going be good. So I read read through it. It says schizophrenia paranoia, the delusional believes he's been abducted by aliens. So I said, no shit. Okay. So I asked him the three medical questions. He didn't want any treatment. Now, how do I get him out of here? So, I said to myself, what would Luke Skywalker do in a situation like this? So I picked up the phone, nobody on the other end. I pretended to have a conversation. I said, listen, I said, I just did you a big favor. He goes, what's that? I said, go back to your house. I just contacted Donald Trump. And the FBI is going to come and take the chip out of your head. He said, no shit. I said, no shit. He shook my hand, left, never saw him again. Yeah, sometimes you got to be a little creative, you know? I mean, you know, t- the two people you don't fight with are drung- drunks and drug addicts. You know why? Because they, no matter what you say, It's never going to, um, it's never going to fucking help. The 966, the 966 is another story, which is kind of freaky. I had been listening to a uh, radio show uh, during Halloween of about 2019, I think it was. Uh, It was WPLR, Chaz and AJ, and they were talking about the most haunted house in Connecticut. And they bring this house up, it's 966 Lindley Street. I said to myself, 966 Lindley Street. Not only have I driven by the house a hundred times, I've never even seen uh, a human being out in the yard, let alone anywhere else. So, it had snowed really bad that day, and the typical city, because there's cars always parked on both sides, they they could only get one plow through there, so it was like a single-lane road. I decide, okay, there's not too many cars around. Let my curiosity... Let me go take a look at this freaking house, right? So I drive by... And I look on the front porch, and I swear I had never seen a person there before. There's a beach chair out on the front porch. A lady, had to be in her 90s, sitting on the on the, the beach chair in a, uh, a pink bathrobe. So I drive by, thinking, okay, well, you know, of course, as I get up to the next... Intersection. i got to turn around because my stupid-ass curiosity won't allow me to do anything else because I'm not smart enough to heed my own be- my own warnings, I suppose one would say. So I pull up on the other side of the street. And the snow is pretty high. I look at the MDT. There's nothing really going on except car crash here, car crash there, no big deal. I get out, and she looks at me in the dead in the face from about 30 feet away. She goes, I know you were coming. Now, well, let me just say this. I, I am not a superstitious, you know, person. I mean, I actually wrote wrote the book um, Creatures of Folklore, Fact or Fiction, kind of debunked all that stuff. And she looked at me. I said, what? She says, I know you were coming. Bad things have happened here. i was like, ah, shit, right? Well, why, you know, why, why just jump out of the cake right now, Lizzie Borden, right? So, as I'm looking at her... <clears throat> I got to remember, there's a there's a steel fence in front of the house. She says, "Come in." Oh hell no! <laughs> you ain't get me past that. You know you you are not calling me into the the Herman Munster house. I am not going to thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane. I don't give a shit if I got a guns and how many balls I got. You ain't get my ass. <laughs> fucking lying woman. <laughs> just just don't even don't even try that Linda Blair shit on me. So she goes, you know, bad things happened here. No. Back in the early 70s, it was reported a lot of supernatural things happened there, you know, uh, talking cats, cats' heads spinning around, refrigerators moving, TVs moving, all this hocus-pocus shit. Uh, Certain cops went there, fire department went there. Everybody saw they heard the, you know, saw the, and stated in, in statements that they saw this, they saw this, they saw all this happy horse shit. Okay, fine. The the chief's office at that time actually even interviewed people on tape to, you know, what they saw, what they heard. So, and I had realized that most of the people that were involved in that after that incident had gone out on uh, 65% comp for medical, uh, mental health issues. So I figured, okay, well, that's a good way to get 65% without cracking bones and stuff like that. All right, I get it. Eventually... Uh, There was a cop interviewing a a young adopted daughter who lived there. She's deceased now. Uh, He actually caught her tipping over a uh, TV set with her toe. So, (coughs) I've I've been a skeptic of this stuff, so I I, I kind of imagine that this was a result of uh, heightened... uh, Emotional distress for people that like scaring the shit out of themselves. Uh, the media draw was exceptionally huge. I mean, you know, I'm sure some were playing along with the role. Some probably believed it. The other ones probably didn't know what the hell was going on. And as I'm looking at this woman, the door is open. Now, like I said, I'm only 30 feet away. I look into the freaking house... And all I could see was the edge of the door. I couldn't see inside the house. Now, the house, the door was wide freaking open. I mean, I, even, if I, even if it was dark in there, I would have seen something, a shape, a darkness, something. I couldn't see shit. <clears throat> so at that point, my oh shit scale went over where it should be. And um, she's trying to wave me into the house. So I did what anybody would do in a situation like that. I got my ass back in my car and I left. I'm not saying that it really convinced me that there were boogeymen out there or ghosts or paranormal bullshit, but I'll tell you what. I'm not going back in that damn house. I ain't going nowhere near that damn house. I ain't even thinking of that house. The only reason I'm thinking about it is because I just read it here and I'm telling you about it. So stay away from that house. Because uh, it's not good. Next one the wrong uh, runway was when I was out stationed out at the airport district. This was probably late nineties, maybe early two thousands, I believe. I can't I can't remember that far back. You gotta remember I started this this job in, on November 14th of 1986, so everything seems like a big freaking collage to me now. Um, I remember the night and again it was the airport district, so I headed out to uh, Dunkin' Donuts in South of Main Street. They got my donuts. I got my coffee, and I was all good. And the fog was so thick, you couldn't you could barely see the front of the car. And the airport tower reported that they had an aircraft coming in from um, Long Island, New York, and that the plane had struck a tree or branches or or something like that. Was running low on fuel and had to land at the airport. So I tried to get there as fast as I could. Now you got to remember, you know, the emergency lighting on the car wouldn't have done any good. It was so the fog was so thick, nobody would have seen you. Uh, You couldn't go more than probably 10 miles an hour if you were lucky, and I had to make a uh, a mile and a half jaunt out to the airport. So. The, the runway lights for both runways were on because I, I, I saw them earlier that day when I left, and um, I, I can hear the dis, you know—the uh, the dispatchers dispatching uh, to the plane and the plane, you know, contacting us back and you know how he's going to land, what runway he's taking, approaches, all of this, uh, all of this type of stuff, and. I turn on to the main road that goes right to the uh, airport towers. I turn on, it was foggy. I'm rolling down at five, five miles an hour, maybe ten. Um, it was like a scene from uh, The Twilight Zone. I'm driving down this, this lone road, closed buildings on the side, my right side, and uh, light poles on each side. And as I get farther down the road, it, it seems to be getting darker. Okay, so it's getting darker, which my mind wasn't processing because there were streetlights on each side of the road. And as I got closer to the, the airport gate, I, I saw some type of feature in the road. I wasn't sure what it was. It was just—it it was a feature. It was hard to see. And as I got up closer and I started putting on the brakes, it was the tail end of an airplane. And what had happened was the pilot, instead of lining up on the runway, he had actually lined up on the roadway. And as the plane came down, the, um, the wings shredded the, um, streetlights on each side they were they were literally cutting them in half as it it went down there and you know the plane had suddenly stopped the engine had come on out of it had come out of the engine mounts and unfortunately landed on top of them um you know so there are a lot of a lot of strange things in this book i mean you know, like I tell, say, all of my books are kind of short books. You know, this one's probably like 150 pages. Um, a lot of interesting stories in there. I don't want to tell you all of them. But um, there's a lot of good ones like The Wild Woodchuck, Dead on the Carnival Ride, The Deserter, which was an interesting one, uh, The Body in the Car. Uh, Seashells in my hair. The werewolf in the park. Iceman on the rocks. Uh, citizens arrest. The, the sniper's tent. Theft among uh, the thief among us. Uh, the box on the beach. Time to get up. And the possums attack. And the last platoon party. And then. Last of, least but not last, one of my favorite ones, Viagra and Red Bull. So if you have a chance to pick up the book, the book is called uh, Cop Stories, Unconscious Decisions. It was written by me, Michael C. Bouchard. It's available on Amazon. And the last line on the back of the book, it was a hell of a job, but I made it out alive which is probably more truthful than anything else. but uh, So I will be speaking to you in the next episode, which should be episode 13. I don't know what it is yet. Um, I usually take a lot of these uh, cases from emails I get or things I run upon uh, when I'm searching for other things. So we will see you, uh, talk to you soon. And just remember, like I say in all of them, when you're wor- walking in the dark parking lot, you're in the woods in the dark, walking down a dark street or alleyway, you never know who's going to be behind you, so just watch out.